boy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 18 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find us. Uh, If you have a couple minutes, take a second to rate and review the show, uh, say a couple nice things about it, and if you have someone in your life who you think would enjoy it, share your favorite episode with them. There's a decent chance if you enjoy it, they will too. And um, yes, we have some new social accounts. Um, if you want to connect with me personally, you can at this is MXOXO. But if you'd like to connect with the podcast, you can find it now on Instagram and Twitter at this is M pod and on Facebook at facebook.com slash this is M pod. And you know, toward the beginning of the podcast, when we first started, I had an episode where I was answering your questions on Instagram, but they were awful. And um, it's nothing against you people personally. Um, they just weren't great questions. But if you ever do think of something you want to share, you want me to comment on, you want me to read, you want me to see, you have a question for me, you have something you think would be uh, good for the podcast, you can now email it to us at thisismpod at gmail.com. That's thisismpod at gmail.com. And um, it's sort of funny. When it comes to the internet, we're like creatures of habit. I don't know if you're like me, but like sometimes you'll, I don't know, you'll go, you'll open up your internet browser to do something. And it's like you normally have like three things that you sort of bounce between like Facebook, email, um, Netflix, or YouTube or something. And so you have this sort of ecosystem of websites websites or accounts that you normally bounce around in and it's like you know you set up a new email or something and you just you you can't remember to check it you know so all i'm saying is it may be i may only be able to check it intermittently you know when i think about it because it's just like not habitual for me yet but um go ahead and send us stuff um and uh yeah you might stumble across something you think deserves my attention you might have a question you want me to answer on the show or um Dude, you might want to send send us your slander. Maybe you have a bone to pick with me. Maybe you didn't like something I say. Maybe you want to tell me to go fuck myself. You can do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I plan to respond to all serious inquiries. So go ahead and send us a message if you want on Gmail. Otherwise, dude, I got to be honest. <clears throat> this is literally the third day in a row I've tried to record this podcast and I haven't been able to get through it. Today's Saturday. You'll hear this on well, the podcast comes out on Mondays usually. I don't know when you'll actually hear it, but um, I tried to record Thursday, couldn't get through it. Try to record Friday, couldn't get through it, and then, and after multiple attempts too. Like every time I would get to the five minute mark, I would just gas out. Like one day I just wasn't feeling it. I, honestly, I've been super irritable for like the last week and a half, two weeks, and. You know, I want to go into it. I mean, it's actually kind of interesting. It's kind of important. It's actually the thing that's been on my mind the most the last couple of weeks. But it also involves somebody else, and I want to respect their privacy. So um, we'll see if it comes up. Um, it just involves somebody else's health, and and um, you know, I don't know if that's public information. So, um, but it's kind of been on the front of my mind. I think that's weighing on me a little bit. Um, also, this is my last free week before school starts, and I don't know. I'm feeling a little apprehensive. Um, I mean, I ended the, I ended last semester well, but I have a feeling things are going to be a little bit more difficult this semester. And I think maybe maybe some of my fears about the semester are transferring over to the podcast. You know, I, like I'm having a bit of a confidence crisis. And so, you know, maybe in some roundabout way, because I'm scared of I'm scared of my performance throughout the semester. It's sort of like attacking my psyche on the podcast. Do you know what I mean? I, I know I, I sound like a broken record when I talk about this stuff, but it's like when you're performing, when you're doing the podcast, when you're doing just about anything really, dude, even if, if you're on a date, you could feel this way. But the minute you become self-aware, you can start to derail yourself. And it has nothing to do with how other people are actually experience, experiencing you or how things are actually going. But if you plant this seed in your mind that you're not doing well, it can start to fester. And uh, yeah, it's like my brain attacking itself. Do you know what I mean? I mean, even as I'm talking about it, I feel myself sort of fending that worry off. Like you just have to push through it. Do you know what I mean? It's like those scenes in the movie where like someone's talking in a microphone, like on some PA system and they start freaking out and, uh, uh, and like beads are sweat, beads of sweat are like rolling down their forehead and the mic feeds back and they go, 
I can't do this. And they walk off stage. That's kind of, you just have to push through that, push through that shit. You know what I'm saying? Um, dude, it actually kind of reminds me, like I had this whole year, like I've been dating my girlfriend now for, it's like my age. Actually, I was about to say four years, but I treat everything in my life. Like I treat my age, which is I'm 34 now. Uh, dude, am I? Yeah, no, I am 34. But what I do is as soon as I turn 34, I start thinking I'm 35. Cause like people freak out about their age, right? Like if you're 39, nobody wants to turn 40 or they start freaking out about turning 40. But for me, I always preemptively like fought against that stuff by just acting as if that was already my actual age. So by the time it actually came around, I didn't really have feelings about it. But it also means that things become confusing because by the time I actually turn that age or that anniversary comes around, I've been saying it for so long that I sometimes think it's actually the next one. So the other day, I literally had to text my brother and ask him how old I was. (laughs) I was like, dude, am I 33 or 34? And he's like, you're 34, bro. And I was like, oh, okay. But I was about to say I've been dating my girlfriend for four years, but literally we just had our three-year anniversary like four months ago. So, but I'm already thinking, oh, well, we've been together for almost four years. Um, But dude, why did I even bring that up? Oh, before I was dating my girlfriend, I literally had like a year and a half where I was single. And I mean, I was certainly like, I was going to say a coward, but then I was going to change it because that sounded too like self-deprecating. But Yeah, dude, I never talked to girls growing up. I mean, I had girlfriends. I would say most of my friends were actually girls, but I couldn't like, I had no game. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't talk to girls romantically. And anyone that I ever ended up having a quote relationship with, it was always someone I knew socially and things sort of blossomed, you know, but I was never the type of guy who could just like walk up to a girl and start talking to them at a party. I I mean, I had trouble talking to anybody about most things, but um certainly girls. Yeah. I just didn't know what the fuck was going on. I was so self-conscious and sort of up in my head. And I think like a lot of people who are scared to quote, talk to girls, you think it's a, well, it is a skill set, but what, you know, you think it's, you sort of give them all the power, you know, and you, um, you take responsibility for everything, you know, rather than understanding that it's, uh, it's back and forth. You know what I mean? Um, so I literally took this like year and a half And I remember saying this declaratively. I remember saying, even in therapy, I was like, there will come a time where I have to meet the person I'm supposed to be with. And it's going to rely on my courage. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think it was like, I mean, you think this happens with your music career too. Like when you're first starting out and you step out into the scene, you go to the open mics, you look out and you see who the cool bands are. And you try to go to their shows because you think something's going to happen. Or you think you have to know this person. Um, you think you're going to go out and you're going to meet somebody who's like going to help you out. You're going to forge some sign of, you're, you're going to forge some kind of relationship. It's like social networking. But if you're also like me, and that stuff comes with a lot of pressure and anxiety sometimes, you know, there's plenty of opportunities or things you have on the calendar that you back out of because you just don't feel up to it, you know? Because if you're an introvert, going out and doing stuff can feel burdensome. Uh, and so there are some nights where it's like, okay, you have this person's show on the calendar and you want to go out there and meet people and, and make the scene or whatever, but you just think, oh dude, I just can't bring myself to do it. So you fucking stay home and watch green arrow on Netflix or something, whatever, do whatever your show is. You just, you stay home, you know, but what you tell yourself when you're at home sometimes is you're like, dude, well, what if that was the opportunity where I was, where I was supposed to meet that person, you know? When I'm not successful and I look back on my life, I'm going to be thinking about this one night where like, could it have been the case that if I had gone out that night, that's when I would have, I would have, you know, you know, it's all about who you know. And would that, would that have been the night where I met the person who was going to make me a success? Do you know what I mean? Was that my success story? It's because it's about being in the right place at the right time, et cetera, et cetera. You start telling yourself all these things. Now, in actual practice, you go out there a bunch and you realize that's not true, but you, but if you're, but if you already feel your, if you feel like you're wrestling with yourself, you know, and you, you sort of shy away from those experiences, you're going to blame yourself. And, um, that's how I approached for better or worse. That's how I was thinking about being single and dating. You know, I already knew I was kind of like a reclusive person by nature. And I was like, look, if I'm going to meet someone, if I'm going to go out, like I want to forge this part of my character where I can go out and talk to anybody. Do you know what I mean? And it wasn't about the game. It wasn't about picking up chicks. Do you know what I mean? It was about 
developing a part of my personality that I, I wanted to develop, you know? And I felt like whether it was dating or my creative life or even just, you know, the, the constitution of my character, do you know what I mean? I felt like something hinged on me, de- on just being more secure and being more confident. You know, I certainly thought it could help me with dating, but I also thought it could have, it could help me in other areas of my life too, whether it was job interviews or negotiating for myself or advocating for myself in other ways, you know? <clears throat> so I literally did this, I, like every night I would go out and go to a different bar and I would just like talk to people. If it was a female, great, <laughs> but it was, it would literally be just about anybody who seemed receptive to conversation. And there were two things that happening. One, I had just turned 30. So I was like, I was, I may have been 31 at the time too, but from the time, like, th- my, the, like the years I was 30 and 31, I mean, I was also straddling that thing where it's like, I'm an adult now. There are certain places where people go to hang out or go when they're single that I just can't, I don't, not only, I mean, I could go there, but I didn't feel comfortable at them anymore. So in a way you start cultivating this radar for like, oh, what are places that given my age, I can go at alone and, and feel comfortable and not feel like, uh, like I'm looming or like I'm a creepy dude. And so there was this constellation of like six or seven places that I like to go on a regular basis where, you know, maybe there'd be a chance for romance, but it would really be about, you can fall into friendly conversation with people and that's kind of what people are going there for. And it was kind of an interesting exercise, you know? Um, of course, at first it was kind of uncomfortable sometimes and sometimes you're embarrassed, but what you're hyper conscious of at first is that you, you're, you are, you take full responsibility for the conversation. You know, if you broach a conversation with somebody and then you guys start talking and talking and then inevitably, inevitably, and it always will happen. There, there's that lull in the conversation. There's that quote, uncomfortable silence. If you're the person who feels self-conscious, if you feel like you're responsible for impressing this person, if you've already placed them on a pedestal of sorts, you know, and there's a lull in the conversation, you take responsibility for it. And that's when you find yourself doing shit like, uh, well, or you, dude, or you freak out and you go back. you like, you almost like retreat into yourself. And once you've done that, it's exponentially harder to put yourself back out there. Like once the lull happens, you retreat and it's like you can't get back in there. And so sometimes you just like, like you literally see the conversation die away. Do you know what I mean? And you kind of just let it go. And then like that person just sort of takes off. And look, sometimes it's a female that you're speaking with. Sometimes it's just another dude who you're having a friendly conversation with, you know? But even then I was like, some of my takeaways, like (laughs) I would think, you know, how can I act? And and honestly, a lot of it had to do with like mindful meditation at the time, instead of like being swept away by whatever feelings you're having in the moment, you just sort of, you just try to observe them dispassionately and watch them sort of pass like clouds. So like, it was literally almost like this spiritual exercise of me, like going out, talking to people and just tolerating whatever it was. And also not taking responsibility for how people responded to me. Like, I would literally go in there, like, it would be like a a huddle or something, like a sports team, where I would be like, all right, buddy, your heart's in the right place, you're not creepy, you're just going to be friendly with people, and whatever happens, happens. Now get out there and make some friends, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I would literally just start talking to people, and if they didn't want to be talked to, that's fine. I didn't do anything wrong. If the conversation went great, great. If it was awkward, it was awkward. But I also was trying to like practice telling myself like, whatever happens, it's not all my fault. Like a conversation or whatever you call it is really a dance between two people. And if there's an uncomfortable silence in the conversation, like sometimes I would literally not like um, confrontationally or like creepily, if that's a word, like a creep, but I would just sort of sit there silently and like just sort of, you know, look at the person kind of friendly like and just kind of give them the opportunity to say something or at least present to them like, I don't know, almost like I'm not going to do all the work here. Do you know what I mean? And it was actually kind of an interesting power dynamic when you're sitting in that, you know, it can actually sort of endear yourself to people. You know, I'm not that all these things are experienced consciously, like in the moment, but you know, I think it actually can demonstrate to some people, dude, especially females who get hit on all the time. You know, it can, it can definitely demonstrate to people that you're not, trying to do a dance. Do you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, I think the whole reason I'm even going into, Oh, well maybe I'll finish this thought, which is like I said, I had told myself that there will come a time 
that I will need to speak to someone like I like the person I'm supposed to be with. I'm going to, it's going to rely on my courage. You know, it's going to be an opportunity that I take, you know, and I just knew that I was going to thank myself. You know, I'm, I need to cultivate this task because there's a, you know, there's going to be an interaction that I need to be present for. And, uh, I don't have that skill set yet, but I need to develop it so that when the time comes, I do the right thing and I don't shy away. I don't do that thing where I go, Oh, I want to go to the show. Cause there might be an opportunity there and I chicken out and then I have to sit with the not knowing and the regret. Do you know what I mean? And there were plenty of those along the way. <clears throat> there was plenty of times I wanted to talk to that person, but I chickened out or I tried and then I sort of chickened out, you know, the way I always do. Um, so anyway, is it clear that I'm relating this to the podcast? I'm not just talking about like picking up chicks. I'm talking about self-confidence and whatever, you know, in the same way that like sometimes I'll sit down to do the podcast or even some experiences that you have on stage sometimes where you start and then you start doubting yourself and that self-talk, you talk yourself out of doing something that you really want to be doing and that you probably could have done if you had just pushed through the uncomfortable feelings. So yeah, there were plenty of times where I was like, oh fuck, you know? You know, and I would really be hard on myself. But when I met my girlfriend, literally, I had seen my buddy Tom Rhodes, who's a great musician. Tom, uh, T-O-M-R-H-O-D-E-S. Um, there's, a, there's a comedian with an identical spelling. That's not who I'm talking about. It's the musician Tom Rhodes. But you should look him up and find his music. But I saw him playing at a very famous venue in Berkeley called Freight and Salvage. And he was playing as a part of this like singer-songwriter competition by this local organization called West Coast Songwriters. And it's, you know, they're, they're fine. It's just not really, it's never really been my scene, you know. But I go there to support my friend Tom and see him perform. And, uh, you know, there's a not-so-great songwriter on stage. And then my buddy Tom comes up. And, you know, I mean, I'm coming in like in the middle of the show. I'm not going to show up for the whole thing. I'm just going to see my friend Tom. But there's a not-so-great songwriter who's performing. And uh, then my buddy Tom comes up and fucking crushes it. And then uh, someone else follows him who's not-so-great. So I just sort of um, go up to Tom in the audience. You know, I sneak up, and I'm like, hey, man, I'm out of here. Great job, whatever. So I go out. And uh, this was also in my, my sort of uh, intermittent drinking period that I was using as, like, my sort of, uh, what do they call it? Liquid courage or something like that. Um but I was like, oh man, you should go home. And then I was like, yeah, but I kind of want to drink. So I ended up going to this bar, like right around the corner. I was like, yeah, I'll just have a, I'll just have a beer before I go home. And literally I'm just standing there. I get my beer. I'm like leaning up against this pillar or whatever. And my now girlfriend just sort of walks up to the bar and I see her like looking at the board and I, I go, wow, this girl is really cute. I want to talk to her. And then I pause and I was like, yeah, well, I don't know, man. Like, you know, I just started like chickening out. You know what I mean? And I remember I had this literal, I had this thought in my head. Exactly. I said, talk to her before you don't right now. And I literally just, I just, you know, I just say, Hey, do you know what you're going to get? You know, it was like one of these like brew pubs or whatever, you know, they got like all this, they got, they have the sours, they have the, whatever, the IPAs, they have all the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? And I was just like a light lager drinker. You know, I wasn't into like hoppy beers and all that sort of crap. But that was just what I asked. I see her studying the bar and I say, hey, do you know what you're going to get? And the rest is history. But it's funny. I mean, I literally, it's just nice sometimes to tell yourself, you know, there's going to be an important moment in the future where I need to act. And uh, I need to act decisively because a lot hinges on it. And, uh, and dude, your boy was right. Dude, your boy's a prophet. Your boy is straight up Nostradamus. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I'm just trying to say that I feel that with the podcast sometimes, you know, I don't know why exactly. Maybe it's the shit that's sort of weighing on me, but yeah, the last few days I just couldn't do it. It would literally be like talking to chicks. I'd start doing the podcast on like five minutes. By the way, I know I'm not, I know I'm, I know I'm not supposed to say chicks anymore, but, uh, but, uh, what can you do? Um, you know, I'd literally start doing the podcast and I would just sort of deflate, and whether it was some, there'd be, you know, it was always something. There's some noise outside. It's my, it's whatever. I was looking for any excuse not to do it. But here we are. Deep into the podcast, 20 minutes almost further than we've ever gone before. And, uh, I guess it's going okay. It's not going half bad. Dude, maybe it's, dude, and we haven't yawned on the podcast in a while either. Dude, maybe it's the weather. It's like been super rainy in the Bay Area. 
Just when you think it's starting to clear up, dude. And you know your boy has seasonal affective disorder, man. So when it's rainy or gray, dude, it really fucks me up. Like, my girlfriend woke me up at, like... Well, literally, she woke me up on Thursday. I'll spend the night sometimes during the week. And... Well, a couple of thoughts, I guess. But my girlfriend wakes me up, and I'm like, "Oh, maybe my girlfriend has to has to go into work early, you know? Because some, you know, how you can tell basically what time it is by the quality of the light in the room or whatever." And I open my eyes, and it seems super dark, and I'm like, "Oh man, maybe maybe my girlfriend's got to go in early to work." And then I look up, and I see it's like gray and rainy, and I'm just like, and "My girlfriend has no fucking idea what I'm doing." But I just start going, "It's gonna rain! It's gonna rain! It's gonna rain! It's gonna rain! It's gonna rain!" And my girlfriend's like, "Oh, my boyfriend's." My boyfriend has a brain tumor, clearly. Do you know what that is? I say it, well, I mean, when it's rain, when it's going to, when I think it's going to rain or someone checks the forecast and they're like, oh, it's going to rain. I always do that. Nobody knows what the fuck it is. It's this, um, sorry, dude. I don't know why I'm burping on the podcast all the time, all of a sudden, but, um, it's this thing by Steve Reich, who's like this, uh, 20th century. He's probably, dude, he's got to be, he's probably still alive, honestly, but he's this 20th century composer. Uh, minimalist composer and uh, like in the 1960s or something he did this like phase music and a lot of it he scored for instruments but um he did like a couple pieces in the 1960s that were just like these samples recorded to tape that i think he recorded himself but one of them was this black preacher and he's talking about the biblical flood and he's just saying like and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and he's probably like equating it to modern society or whatever but he's just like uh He's like, it's going to rain. And the minute he says that, the tape just starts, it takes that one phrase and just starts looping it over and over again. And when you hear it, it sounds like one tape, you know, one sample. But what it actually is, is two tapes playing simultaneously. So it sounds like one. And ever so slowly, they start to literally go out of phase with each other. Um, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something to, to compare it to. Not that you need to, but like, have you ever been stopped at a traffic light and you turn on your blinker and you realize, oh, I am, my blinker is synced with the person in front of me. Like maybe it happens once out of every 10,000 times you turn on your blinker, but because they're not timed perfectly, if you observe it for long enough, they get out of sync with each other. Do you know what I mean? And you can see it happening. You see that gap widen. That's exactly what happens with the tape. So you hear this phrase and it slowly starts to go out of phase with each other. And because it's dialogue, like it, any, if you can pick any word out of the dictionary, if you say it long enough, it literally loses its meaning. It just becomes like a melodic, like it has its melodic structure in it and it's its own rhythm. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's, it, it's like a melodic line. It's just the melody and the phrasing of the words. And if you repeat it, it just, the, the meaning of the words disappears. So you start to hear this tape loop almost like music. And because it's going out of phase with itself, it's literally like every possible permutation of it moving across itself. Does that make sense? So the, the it, I don't know. It sounds like a sort of musical morphing kind of thing, except instead of melody, it's dialogue. Anyway, super cerebral academic shit from like the 1960s, right? <clears throat> but that it's always stuck in my head. He has another one called Come Out. And I think it's about a guy, I think the, the loop is a, as a black man spe- who was like assaulted by police officers. And he says something like, I had to like open up the bruise to let the bruised blood come out to show them. And he takes that one part of the sample where he's like, come out to show them, 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 come out to show them. And he does the exact same shit with that. So, dude, your boy's so smart. <clears throat> Man, yeah. So anyway, I woke up uh, Thursday morning in the rain, saying saying that my girlfriend had no idea what was going on. And dude, it's so weird. You think you know you go through life and you you. It's like you know. Sometimes I tell myself I'm pretty smart and I feel like I should be seeing this as it's happening, and I never do. But I think, dude, literally that night, I was at work. Okay, a couple things. I've told you that I listen to like music monomaniacally. So like the year before last. It was all Beethoven. The last year, it was all Brahms. And sure, I dabbled in some other shit. But um, like mostly for one year, that's all I'll fucking listen to. This year, at the start of 2020, it was supposed to be Bach. And for whatever reason, I'm not doing it. I mean, I'm not saying I'm never going to do it. I'm just saying right now, like I don't feel moved to. And for some reason, I'm also like trying not to force that on myself. I'm like, oh, well, I guess the cosmos or whatever wants me to, you know, I'm feeling called to listen to other things. So... When I 
trust me, this will all come together. But like when I go on break at work or when I walk to work, I'm always listening to music. So like for one year it was Beethoven, another year it was Brahms. It was supposed to be Bach. But when I walk to work and then the 30 minutes I have on break at work where I go for a walk and leave the building, I'm usually listening to music. Like I have an eight hour shift and uh, for every eight hours I work, I get a half hour break. And for me personally, I leave the building. It's like, I think if I leave and I walk around, it's like I can reset my brain or something. And like when I come back, um, and usually there's only a little bit of the shift left, you know, like if you go to a play or you go to an opera or you go to anything with an intermission, you don't always realize it, but the intermission doesn't happen in the middle of the performance. It's like act one will be like an hour. Act two will be 45 minutes so that when you actually come back, you don't have to sit through as much. It's almost like they're anticipating you're already checking out. Do you know what I mean? So that's how I treat work. It's like I work eight hours. I'll go on my half hour break like after eight hours so that when I come back, it's like an hour and a half, two hours left in the shift. <clears throat> anyway, for that, even and, and for that half hour, I have to leave the building. It's like I think I can convince myself if I come back, like I'm just starting. Anyway, dude, it's crazy. I'm sure you understand. I don't feel like I'm articulating it very well, but you know what the fuck I'm talking about. But I go for a walk in that half hour break and I listen to music. And um, because I'm not listening to Bach, I'm using that time to just listen to whatever I feel moved to at the time. And literally that night at work, I was listening to Steve Reich. And dude, I never do this. Like, I I literally was like, it was probably because it was raining. And I was like, I need something kind of moody. I need something kind of atmospheric. And I started listening to this piece I haven't listened to in like a decade. It's called Music for 18 Musicians. And, uh, dude, it's beautiful. It's the kind of thing, like, when you hear it, you go, oh, this is the shit that bands like Radiohead and Sigur Rose have been ripping off. And I love those bands, but it's like, this is the aesthetic that all the, 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 quote, serious bands, like, are shooting for. Do you know what I mean? And it was such a blast from the past. Like, it reminded me of when I was, like, 19. I was living in Tucson, Arizona. And I would do this thing, um... Phoenix is about a two hour drive away, maybe hour 45 minute drive away from Tucson. And I would like at that time in my life, I was like super nocturnal. Do you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't, I would go to bed at like four or five in the morning sometimes, you know, and I would sleep through most of the next morning. But, um, like I would just get in my truck some nights and just drive. And sometimes I would drive all the way to Phoenix and back. Sometimes you'd go halfway or whatever, but you'd spend a, you know, a fair amount of time in the car, just driving around with your thoughts, man. And I would always try to find some atmospheric or kind of moody music. Like I remember listening to Chopin Preludes or something like that. I remember listening to a lot of Arvo Parrott's music. And one of the pieces that I would listen to sometimes is Music for 18 Musicians by Steve Reich. Um, so yeah, there was something about stepping out on my break and it being kind of rainy or whatever where I was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to listen to that. But... uh. Yeah, if you haven't heard it, I would check it out. It's beautiful. Although it's kind of funny. It's like I listen to music for 18 musicians, and it's like, I think anyone who drops, anyone who listens, anyone who listens to music for 18 musicians is going to like it. And there's something about it that's timeless. You know, you listen, and dude, it comes from the same composer, you know what I'm saying, as these tape loops. And anyone who listens to these tape loops, like, it's kind of interesting, but you're not going to enjoy it in like a visceral sense. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to get swept up by it. It's not going to be like listening to a Beethoven symphony or something like that. It's um, an experiment. Do you know what I mean? It's like an academic exercise. It's not the music itself that's going to move you. It's the idea behind it. Whereas something like music for 18 musicians is just enjoyable. It sounds good. Um, And for, for some reason, it's reminding me of The Lighthouse. Like, at the end of the last episode, I just had this brief critique of The Lighthouse, the latest Robert Eggers movie with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And I was saying, it's not a great movie. Like, it's good technically. It's shot well. Willem Dafoe is fucking phenomenal in that movie. Like, really, it's worth watching just for Willem Dafoe's performance. But other than that, it's not a great film. And the reason it's not great, I think, is because it has a very good idea and when it just sticks to that, the scope of that idea, it's very entertaining, which it should be just a sort of tense thriller, kind of cat and mouse, mounting tension um, sort of film. 
of these two guys living in a claustrophobic environment where there's this like power struggle and you know there's just some actually some sort of like homoerotic tension between the two of them and if it was just that it'd be incredibly entertaining but the part that's frustrating is when it becomes like needlessly obscure and complex at the service of some fucking intellectual thing that has nothing to do with the core story like it completely weaves in this whole myth of Prometheus thing, you know, stealing fire from the gods and, you know, seeming to equate it to the power dynamic between the two of them. And, and I don't want to spoil the film, but it's like just the last shot alone. You're like, Oh fuck, please. Right. It's a total point toward the Prometheus myth or whatever. And it's just like, I think I was saying it's almost feels like this holdover from like the sort of David Lynch, the heyday of, of filmmakers like David Lynch. And look, dude, David Lynch is the real motherfucking deal, right? Like, when you watch David Lynch, you're hit with the goddamn spirit. But because he happens to be very obscure and complicated and his movies are like a fucking mystery and a Rubik's Cube, that signaled to a lot of other young filmmakers who wanted to be taken seriously that films had to be sort of complicated. And, you know, there was this whole trend in, like, their late 90s, early 2000s for, film, for quote, serious art films to be this fucking mystery that people had to fucking tease out and debate over on fucking message boards and shit. And um, it feels like a holdover from that. And I feel like, I don't know if it's a part, there's something about it that feels juvenile to me. Do you know what I mean? Like I was watching The Lighthouse thinking, oh, if I was younger, I would enjoy this. But now that I'm an adult, and one, I feel better calibrated to like, not only what I actually like, but what I think good art is, actually is, not just what people say it is, but what it actually is. <clears throat> I think it has to be entertaining the whole time. Do you know what I mean? Like it, For me, the best art is, is both things. It has great ideas, but it all has to be in the service of plot. Do you know what I mean? Like I've been reading Dostoevsky and when it's plot centric, it's phenomenal. It's a page turner and you, but you know that it's smart. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, I've talked about it in terms of like a magic trick or a great figure skating routine. It looks easy, but there's a thousand things going on that are underpinning the performance that you don't see that you don't know are happening that are the, like the some psychological effect of them is, is, is like imprinting itself on your brain. So it's not just entertaining. The great ideas are sort of, I don't know, coming together for this. You know, I call it like a some psychological effect. And all of that is fucking shattered when you try to sort of show people how good you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think David Foster Wallace talks about this. Like, he says, when you're a young writer, you're trying to show your audience how smart you are. And when you get older, what you realize is that that's awful to read. Like, nobody enjoys reading that. Nobody wants to see you being smart. Do you know what I mean? They just want to be entertained. You know, and if it ha- if you happen to be smart on top of that, awesome. But they don't want to they don't want you to show them how good you are. Do you know what I mean? Like I remember when I was young, dude. This is why your boy is so stupid as a student. But especially when I was younger, if it was homework, I didn't want to do it. I would do everything around the homework. Like, you know, uh, in my like when I was languishing in a junior college studying music, I would spend all of my time in the University of Arizona Music Library listening to composers and reading books. And so it's like, if you mentioned a composer, I already listened to everything by them. I probably like knew their biography and all that sort of shit, but I wasn't doing like my harmony homework. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't doing like the fundamental assignments, but I was doing everything past that. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's like we would read of mice and men in school and I would just start reading all of John Steinbeck's novels. I mean, I would read of mice and men too, but it was like, yeah, I would just do all this other shit. But the point is I'm saying like, I was a freshman when I was going to this performing arts school and I would spend, there was this period I was like infatuated with this girl that we went to school with. And I would write these fucking love poems in my, in my dorm room. You know, I would spend all my time writing these love poems and it was literally like I would write what I wanted to say. Like I would write the phrase and then I would go through with a thesaurus and try to find a better word for every word that I had written down. You know, it wasn't just enough to say what I wanted to say. I like wanted to have like some art arty farty word. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't enough to just say uh, night. It had to be twilight. Do you know what I mean? Or it wasn't just the moon. It was the celestial orb and the. You know what I mean? 
honestly, I think part of that was sort of the beginning of me like wanting to be a songwriter because I was also like exploring like the sounds of words and I wanted words to sit on my tongue in a certain way. And so that's, you know, it's not not for nothing, but I'm talking about that impulse of like needing to be impressive, you know, needing to have a big vocabulary, wanting people to think that you're smart. And um, when David, when I, I, I'm fairly sure it was David Foster Wallace, but when David Foster Wallace said that, I totally related to that. Like when you're young, you want to be taken seriously and you want to do all the things that you think you need to do to be taken seriously. Um, but I think as you get older, you realize, dude, it has to be entertaining first. You know, I talk about this idea of like, I talk about this idea of like, consider your audience, you know, and sometimes I just want to say, fuck it and do whatever the fuck I want. But, uh, I think there's something to that, you know, it has to be entertaining all the time. And if the spell's ever broken, you fucking lose people. And the quickest way to lose the spell or to like to break the spell of what you're doing is to become self-aware. Oh dude, I love how it all comes together. When you watch a movie like the lighthouse and it starts talking, like it starts alluding to like Prometheus and shit. You're like, what the fuck? Like, where is this coming from? Why don't you just fucking like, just tell me the story and let me take it. Like trust the audience to fucking put things together. Do you know what I mean? I feel like this came up in the last podcast too, although I can't remember how, but you need to just put these things in here and it all has to be at the service of plot. And if it ever overshadows the plot, you're going to fucking lose me, you know, and it feels show offy. You know, I read these Dostoevsky novels and when it's all plot centric, it's, it's a fucking page turner. But when the action slows down and it just becomes people sitting in a room talking about what the novel is about, it gets very boring very quickly and it becomes sort of ponderous and kind of like, Oh, who gives a shit? Do you know what I mean? And it's not like these elements weren't already in the novel. Like if you're smart, you're already picking up on this, but it's like anytime a creator wants to stop and point or like highlight, this is the, these are the smart things that are taking place. It fucking just, dude, it kind of ruins the magic, you know? And I know I sound like a big dick, but it's like, I feel like, I feel like that's what, ha- that's what's happening in the lighthouse. I was, you know, there's parts of it where you're watching, going, oh, this is a great movie. And then you just go, God damn, it's so not confident. It's, it wants to be taken so seriously. It fucking destroys, it starts tripping over itself, do you know? <clears throat> and in a way, I like, I, I don't know if this makes sense following what I just said, but it's like, I was watching the lighthouse thinking, I don't even think this movie knows what it's about, <laughs> you know? Like I felt the same way about his other film, The Witch. Like, this fucking movie doesn't even understand itself. Like, it's not even... There's, like, literally nothing happens. It's all aesthetics. It's, like, one big genre experiment. Like, both films are, like, period pieces. And you can tell the filmmaker spent a lot of time studying the time period and, like, you know, this the, the film The Lighthouse is about two guys who are staying on this rock with a lighthouse. And so he obviously studied a lot about what it means to take care of a lighthouse. You know, he studied that time period. And the dialogue for Willem Dafoe is fucking fantastic. <clears throat> so you can tell he, I mean, th- th- you know, it's well studied and um, the production design's great and it's well shot. But conceptually, like the big ideas, it just, it's fucking confused, man. And it just, to me, it comes from that. Dude, it feels like Pynchon. Have you ever read Thomas Pynchon? Thomas Pynchon is like, he's one of these authors that you have to read, do you know? Like people think, you know, I don't know. He writes super confusing novels that are tedious as fuck to read, but because they're complicated and they, uh, they posture themselves as serious novels, people fawn all over them because they feel like, oh, this is obscure and complicated, so if I understand it, if I enjoy it, that, sa- that says something about me and my capacities as a reader or an artist or whatever the fuck you want to say. You know what I'm saying? And when you read Thomas Pynchon, when you read his, but, but Gravity's Rainbow is probably like his most famous novel or whatever. Dude, it sucks. It's a, I, I called it a hateful reading experience. Of course, like I felt accomplished when I finished it because I, I fucking finished it, but it is a hateful reading experience. It's not entertaining. And it's like, dude, it's like, I call it as like the novel as phallus. Like it all stems from like, to me it all stems from like this sort of Joycean like, Ulysses, Finnegan's Wake. I like Joyce. I love Dubliners. Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, you're like, oh, this is starting to get a little strange. Ulysses, I've tried to read it a few times, can't fucking understand it. Finnegan's Wake, fucking forget about it. Nonsensical. 
but it's just like the author imposing themselves on you. And like, and every line, every page is just like, see how smart I am. See how smart I am. See how smart I am. I think about it as like the novel as phallus. Do you know what I mean? Um, worship me, worship my dude. I was about to say something gross, but don't worry about it. You know, worship my creative output. Look at this, look at this super long, confusing tome that people will pour over and, and, uh, be crushed under my genius. Dude, I hate when I see that happening to film too. Dude, it should just be entertaining. Do you know what my, one of my favorite movies of all time is Seven. That's one of those movies that I can watch any time. And it, no matter where it's... Like if I walk in a room and that movie's on, I want to watch the whole goddamn thing. And it never stops and takes itself too seriously. It's just a brilliant fucking movie. It's well written. It's well acted. The production design's fucking great, and it's a fucking it's a it's an intriguing plot. Usual Suspects, another one of my favorite movies of all time. That was just made as like a summer blockbuster that happened to be fucking incredible. It had good writing, good cast, good acting, great plot, and a fucking incredible twist at the end. And there's absolutely no fucking pretense in that movie. And because of that, that movie's gonna fucking live forever. Do you know what I mean? One of my other favorite movies of the last who knows how many years, Inception. That movie is smart as fuck, but it's also like a popcorn movie. Do you know what I mean? I think, I don't know. We've talked about how the Batman movies aren't great, but I think Christopher Nolan might, in my eyes, be one of like the modern filmmakers who seems to have it figured out that movies can be smart, but also need to be entertaining, you know? And where did he fucking fail recently? Interstellar. Because the idea superseded the plot. The movie's boring as fuck. But it tries to rest on the uh, on the idea, and therefore Interstellar is not a good movie. But like Memento, dude, brilliant, entertaining, and the concept's fucking incredible. Oh yeah, the new Christopher Nolan movie. I brought it up. I didn't know what it's called. It's called Tenet. So hopefully, hopefully that's sort of a return to form for him. <clears throat> but yeah, dude, it's got to be entertaining, no matter what it is. If it's Dostoevsky, dude, it's got to be plot, 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 plot. It all has to be in the service of plot. <clears throat> anyway, here I am talking like I know what the fuck's going on when I'm the guy who can't even get through his fucking podcast for three days in a row. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, dude, I don't even know if I finished what point I started off talking about. I was talking about Steve Reich. I was talking about classical music. Uh, oh, I think I was talking about this idea that music for 18 musicians is something that you listen to and it's actually, it's actually, it's just good and you get swept up on it. And so therefore it's something that you can come back to over and over and over and over again. Whereas I'm, I'm sure you probably felt the same thing. Even when I was just telling you about his tape phase music, it's going to rain, you know, it's going to rain, it's going to rain, it's going to rain. There's something about that that you go, oh, that's interesting, but it doesn't sound like something you're going to run to check out and like listen to all the time, you know? Like, It's Gonna Rain is not going to come on you and go, oh, dude, this is my motherfucking jam, dude. Turn this shit up. But it's like, I cannot listen to music for, music for 18 Musicians for a decade. And as soon as it comes on, I go, oh, shit, I remember this. It covers me like a fucking warm blanket, dude. I'm like eager to revisit it. Do you know what I'm saying? Dude, it was funny. I literally mentioned Arvo Parrot when I was talking about that, like music I would listen to in the truck when I was just sort of driving around, you know? Arvo Parrot talks about this. Arvo Parrot's an Estonian composer, 20th century. I mean, he's still out. He's still around as well. But um, but um, he talks about this. There's this documentary. I wish I could remember what it's called. I saw it, like, dude, probably like 15 years ago. But there's a documentary about Arvo Parrot, and he tells a story... Um, He's in a train station. When, when Arvo Parrott first started out, he was like other 20th century composers of the time. He was writing this super academic, you know, serial music. Uh, I don't know if it was exactly like 12-tone music, but it was like non-tonal music, you know. It was very harsh and brash and angular and cacophonous, dude. Like a lot of classical music from the 20th century is just fucking cacophonous. Um, and that's fine. I'm not saying it shouldn't be written. I'm just saying you know, there was this whole rift in concert music audiences where it's like, they wanted to hear the classics and, you know, modern composers were like, well, this is, we want to have new music, but it's like, yeah, but it doesn't sound good. Do you know what I mean? You're fucking hurting people's ears. And it's, you know, there was this whole rift of like, people like, oh, well, they don't understand it. It's like, yeah, because it's fucking super, it's, it's just too academic. But anyway, that's the kind of shit that Arvo Parrott was making for a long time. 
And I don't know if it was this experience that changed his mind as much as maybe it just sort of solidified something he was already thinking. But he tells this story about being at a train station or something and asking some janitor or some guy sweeping the floor. He says something like, what should the job of a composer be? Or what should the goal of a composer be? Or something like that. And the guy says something like, he should love every note that he writes. And that was sort of the beginning of Arvo Parrott completely switching his musical style. And it started with this piano piece. I think it's called Furalina. But it's just two voices on the piano. Very simple. And it was just, he wrote it to be like, I love every note of this piece. It's very short. And it's beautiful. It's haunting. It's one of the best things he's ever composed. And it's, the, it's, and it's almost certainly the simplest thing he ever wrote. But that was a change in his artistic voice. And now everything you hear from him is it's very beautiful, it's simple, it's minimal, but it's it's a lot of like liturgical choral music. It's it's holy. It sounds like church music, but it's fucking beautiful. You should find the Cantus in memory of Benjamin Britten. It's written for excuse me, it's written for string orchestra and like chimes. Dude, sorry. And it's just a descending natural minor scale, I'm pretty sure on strings, sort of layered over itself. Do you know what I mean? And it's fucking beautiful. And it builds to this great crescendo and there's these fucking chimes. Dude, it's super emotive. And it's the exact opposite of what everybody else was writing at the time. Super complicated, non-tonal. It's all intellectual, academic and shit. And that was just like people worshipping at the, the concept. The cult of concept. Dude, that's what it was. There was this, there's this cult, in creativity, there is a cult of concept where that's the fucking most important part. Do you know what I mean? The idea is what's important. And that's one extreme. Dude, it's like performance art. Have you ever known anyone who's into fucking performance art? Like people just defecating in a bucket on stage or urinating on a crucifix? while they fucking read the Communist Manifesto, and, and they start, like, dude, if you go to a modern art museum, are you like me, and you're like, what the fuck? This is a bunch of bullshit. Splat. Or it's a fucking urinal. And you're like, dude, this is garbage. But you shut up, because you have all these fucking people dressed all in black with shitty fucking glasses on, just sort of rubbing their chin, going, hmm, oh, yeah, let's see what they're doing there. And you read these fucking placards next to these pieces that look like dog shit, you know, and everything's like, dude, I was talking about this with the movie The Square. It's all about, it's an exploration of space and inner and outer spaces, and when we repurpose and recontextualize, it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. It's a bunch of bullshit, do you know what I mean? There's nothing going on here. This is not the Sistine fucking chapel, man. A chimpanzee, dude, I follow this chimpanzee on Instagram named Limbani. Dude, he paints and he's better than you. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I could paint better with my feet, I feel like. It's literally a bunch of bullshit. Or, dude, maybe it's not, dude. Maybe it is super interesting academically. But don't be fucking surprised when the general public doesn't give a fuck. Dude, if people stop wanting to come to the concert hall to listen to your fucking tape loops, dude, don't be fucking surprised. You want them to come worship at the cult of concept? That's not what people want, dude. They want to be entertained. You know? And and what's wrong? Dude, you can't accuse Beethoven of not being smart, you know? He's not the fucking Dean Koontz of composers, do you know what I mean? It was both beautiful music and he was a fucking genius. Do you know what I mean? Like, aspire to that. Anyway, dude, what the fuck am I talking about? Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Dude, who the fuck knows what's going on, dude? Yeah, dude, it's got to be in the service of plot. It's got to be entertaining, dude. It's got to be good. Dude, and especially now, dude, all the, you could get away with all this shit when there was no choices. Do you know what I mean? When what happened on the concert stage or whatever was heavily curated, a lot of times you were just at the service of critics, dude, who, by the way, as I'm an, now that I'm an adult, fuck critics. Critics don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Do you know what I'm saying? Film critics, book critics, most people don't even read this shit, let alone film critics don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Dude, look at Rotten Tomatoes. Things that are sort of uh, not just a cult of concept, but now it's like identity politics. Anything that sort of panders to the fucking cultural climate right now gets fucking rave reviews and it's fucking dog shit. Now, I'm not saying Moonlight is total dog shit, but it's not a great film, and it's one of the most critically acclaimed movies 
of the last who the fuck knows how many years. And it's not good. It's certainly not great. Maybe it's good, but it's not fucking great. Um, uh, yeah. Fuck, man, dude. So crotchety. But yeah, man, it's gotta be entertaining. But yeah, dude, maybe when you didn't have... Here's what I think happens. Now that you can literally listen to whatever the fuck you want, that's exactly what people do. You know, when there was only X number of channels on... Dude, I talk about this. When When I was a kid and you went to the video store... You would rent like two or three movies and you would take them home for five or seven days and you would watch all of them. It didn't matter if it was garbage. Dude, you would take a movie home and go, oh, this sucks. And you'd watch it all the way through. Dude, you'd, you might watch it twice before you had to return it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas now I go to Netflix and because there's literally so many options, I can't watch anything. The minute I start watching something and five minutes into it, I think, oh, this isn't very good. I want to stop. And I want to fucking go to something else. Do you know what I mean? I literally go, oh, this is not what I'm supposed to be watching. There has to be something better out there. And I go back to browsing. I mean, you watch older movies and the pacing of them is completely fucking different. You know, most movies from like the fucking 70s. Like, dude, you watch The Exorcist? Nothing happens for the first 45 minutes. And you think, dude, if this movie came out in theaters now, people would be bored to tears. You know? If this was just came out on Netflix right now, like, nobody would watch it. You know, but that's what happens. Well, one, I mean, some people just sort of praise that. They think it's like, you know, that's how all things should be fucking made. Like, people don't have patience. And there's something for that, too. But it's also, like, because everyone can do whatever they want now, they can listen to whatever music they want, they, they're also more hyper-attuned to what they actually enjoy, That's the point I'm trying to make. You know, it's like you want to sell me fucking, um, you know, Zesta crackers with jicama and you're telling me it's fucking good for me. But if I can get McDonald's just as easily, I'm going to get what I want. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, man. The The time for people just sort of like, you know, relying on the cult of concept, I feel like that's coming to an end. Like in an age where you can literally watch whatever you want, or get whatever you actually enjoy. That's just what people are going to gravitate to. <clears throat> and it's weird because when you're young, yeah, dude, you, you do sort of worship at the cult of concept, you know? And it feels, dude, it feels weird when you get older, like what you actually see yourself enjoy watching and like trying to give yourself permission to just enjoy it. Like when I was a kid, you know, you hear about adults talking about like, they would watch The Tonight Show or something every night. And you're like, dude, what the fuck? It seems so boring you know but dude when you're older that dude you you just want that you know what i mean you want something reliable you want what you want to get into stuff that you just know what you're gonna get like dude i talk about this all the time now dude like your boy is watching great british baking show and i fucking love it and it's not challenging and it's not whatever but dude it's entertaining it's a good decent show it's compelling and dude i don't even i find myself trying to justify it but dude i just enjoy it so isn't that enough I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth right now, but like I do feel torn between these two sides of myself all the time where there's what I'm supposed to be doing and what I actually want to do. And in a way, kind of like what I'm listening to, what kind of music I'm listening to on my break in music is kind of indicative of that. Like I'm like I say, I'm supposed to be listening to Bach. Why? I just fucking gave that assignment to myself. Do you know what I mean? But there's some, I, there's like the, some of the, the type of cult of concept ideas sort of underpinning that too, where it's like, well, that's what an educated person listens to. Or like, I, I look at the canon too. Like, dude, why did your boy even read Gravity's Rainbow if you fucking didn't like it? Because you're supposed to read it. You know, so I'm being harsh, but I'm not free of it myself, you know? That basically dictates so much of my life, dude. I'm probably a slave to that as much as anybody. That's why I read the books that I do. Like, for me, dude, in the same way with Netflix, that's what I take to literature. Like, I can't trust my own judgment because there's so many goddamn options now. Like, if you, like, I don't read new novels. I don't read modern fiction because there's so many choices and all the covers look the same and everything's so important and everything's so topical. And I just go, fuck it. I'm so overwhelmed with choices. I defer to the, to the so-called expertise 
of the classics. I let that decide for me. Like, what is the Western canon? I'm just going to read that. And I feel like we feel the same way with Netflix. You know, because we're so overwhelmed by choices, we'll just limit ourselves to what is on the front fucking page. Like, Pitchfork used to be this with music. When everybody and their mother could just upload their fucking record to YouTube or Spotify, getting it, getting reviewed by Pitchfork was, like, what you fucking needed. Because there were people who would just go to Pitchfork and look at their reviews every day, and that's what they fucking checked out. You know, there was this idea when the internet was first blowing up. People were like, oh, you know what the internet's going to allow people to do? It's going to let them go down the fucking rabbit hole and explore their niches and fucking music is just going to get weirder and weirder. But that's not what happens. When you overwhelm people with choices, they fucking just, they, they more than ever, they want things to be curated. More than ever, they want to be told what to listen to. Because otherwise, it's sensory overload. Like, do you ever go to a restaurant now and like look at it and it's like four pages and you're just like, what the fuck? And they're like, we got steaks, we got Italian, we got appetizers, we got salads, we got this. And you're like, dude, just give me like five choices. Just give me five choices and fucking do that and do it well. That's all I fucking want. Like, have you ever watched Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmare or any of these fucking shows where they go in? That's the first thing they fucking do at a restaurant. They throw the fucking menu out that's like five pages and say, dude, here's your 10, here's your 10 menu items and just fucking do that. <clears throat> you know, people, we're just fucking overwhelmed by choices now. And because we're overwhelmed, we don't have fucking time for the bullshit anymore. Anyway. Dude, why does your boy have it figured out and everyone else is fucking struggling, dude? I don't know. I guess your boy's pretty smart. <clears throat> Dude, I had this thing last night. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but I had this coworker of mine who came in and, and uh, she does uh, she leads trivia. She leads she uh, hosts trivia night once a month, and she was sh- and she always does like these themed trivias. And she showed me this thing on her phone. It was like the poster. It was like Mean Girls. And dude, I haven't seen Mean, Girl- mean Girls in fucking forever. But she was talking about it, and I was like, "Who is that main girl? Like the popular girl?" And she was like, "We like looked it up online." I was like, "Oh, Rachel Mac Rachel McAdams." And I was like, "Oh, that girl became a big celebrity." Like, isn't that crazy? Like, you see someone's kind of first movie, and she just kind of looks like a kid in that movie, but then they become, like, a big superstar, and you're like, holy shit, that's kind of weird. But I was also like, oh, and that other girl, like, one of her entourage, like, that girl was from Party of Five, and she was like, there's nobody from Party of Five in Mean Girls, and I was like, dude, yes, there is. And so I'm, like, looking on Wikipedia, like, trying to find the cast, and dude, it took me, like, 10 minutes, but then I land on the girl, I think her name is, like, Lacey Chabray or something like that. And I'm reading her bio and I go, look, dude, party of five. And I just fucking mic dropped and fucking left. That was like the end of my shift. And dude, I felt so smart when I left. But dude, that's how I feel now, dude. I totally party of five your asses, dude. Everybody was like, dude, hey, when you're right, you're right. <clears throat> dude, when your boy knows, your boy knows, dude. Yeah, dude, thank Christ we're getting through this episode, man. Was it good? I don't know. But shit, man, after three days of struggling to record a podcast just to get something out feels good and we went a few places we went a few places it's pretty good talked about art talked about creative confidence talked about the cult of concept those are likely to be things that come up again and again uh what else can we say maybe not much else maybe that's gonna have to be the end of it um thank dude thanks for listening to this podcast I mean, sometimes in the same way when I say, like, you know, it's all about entertaining, entertaining, plot, 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 plot. You know, I do, sometimes I, I beat myself up for the times that I talk about, oh, my creative confidence, and this is what I'm thinking, but I don't know, man. I feel like one of the conceits of the podcast is that it's a stream of consciousness, and, um, you know, maybe you're either up for that or you're not, um, but right now, like, I don't know. I don't want to sit down and be doing material, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't like the idea of... I don't know, writing it out. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know if that's lazy. I don't know what it is, but thanks for sticking it out. Like I said, some of you guys let me know that what you like listening to is just sort of me rapping. So I'm going to trust the process and uh, I'm going to trust that uh, you guys know what you're talking about and you like what you like. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the podcast, wherever you find podcasts. And hey, if you're a fan, rate and review the show, man. If you got a couple of nice things to say about it, please do. Uh, we read a good review uh, at the top of the last episode, and you know, if anyone else posts another one that I think is is pretty.
particularly good or poignant, I'll certainly consider reading it on the podcast. Uh, if you want to connect with my own socials, you can at this is M X O X O and connect with the podcast itself at this is M pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, shoot us an email at this is M pod at gmail.com and uh, find my new playlist on Spotify. Look up M the air apparent. That's the letter M the H E I R apparent on Spotify and look for the featured playlist on my profile called gentleman caller. That's all my original music from 2019. And, uh, God, I always feel like I forget something to say, but, um, uh, maybe just another thank you is all we need. So thanks for tuning into the podcast. Thanks for your continued support. Um, and thanks for your time. Like I said, dude, in the same way that you can listen to whatever you want, the same way you can watch whatever you want on Netflix, the way that you can listen to whatever music you want. Uh, you know, I realize it's a big ask. It's a big ask. You got to emphasize the K there to get you to listen for an hour. So, uh, it's not something I take lately. So thanks for doing that. And uh, hope to catch you guys. Hope, hope, Tim Semina. Hope to catch you guys next time. So thanks for listening, and ciao for now. <laughs>